Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Come on. So it's Garfield explaining... Um... Garfield explaining what happens to him as he drinks more soju, and I think I could go, I could just go get it. But the the first one is like I am friendly. The second one is like I am fun. The third one is like, and it goes all the way down. And the last one is like I am invisible. <laughs> uh, and it's that's also how it's not I react. Borat voice, Borat voice, Borat voice. It's not well, that so one. <laughs> that would be too accurate. Down. Yeah. If you if you buy that shirt off the internet, you are always doing Borat voice whenever it comes up. Unfortunately, <laughs> Just the kind of person you are. Yeah. Personality. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Uh, another thing that shapes people's personalities is the movie we're about to talk about today. Uh, yeah, right. I, yes. I've heard much about this movie. I uh, haven't watched it until this episode, but this is a uh, trial of a literal roundtable podcast about movies we saw or people we met out or games we play at or through the trial and cinema in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This soju is really hitting all of a sudden. You can find us on Twitter at trial of podcast. You can find the trial on at trial and cinema and at trialon.org. Get tickets and merch and other ways to support the trial on there. Trialon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. No, I don't have a quote. I'm sorry. Uh, what's up, Doc? I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. All the world will be my enemy. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. My name is Aaron, and you can find me running the official Kihar the Seagull fan club account. Find me at Kihar fan club official on Twitter and Instagram, and for the next maybe week or so, TikTok. How, uh, how is the Facebook page growing? Have you gotten any organic likes on that puppy? Uh, it turns out there are, I, I would say at this point, maybe millions of like 67-year-old grandmothers that just love Kihar, love Kihar. the Seagull. Love that, Zero Mustel in yes. his He's, he's the new minion meme. All of them and are Box. about like big bit of water yes. and plucking out buckshot and, and oh, whatnot. Oh, this world, th- this this world would be a utopia if instead of the minions, <laughs> it was replaced by Kihar the Seagull. Okay. We would be truly no okay. after peace. After the end yes. of this bit, I've remembered what my final question to our guest was going to be, which was how to pronounce your last name. I'm going to take a great swing at it. Uh, very special guest and first time try love guest Emma Younsmith is on the podcast with us. Did I get it? Close. Ugh. This is Emma Yensmith for Yensmith. the BBC World Service. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> we were talking about how British this movie is before you joined, and it is an incredibly British movie. Extremely uh, British. We are so glad to have you on. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your history with the Trilon before we get talking about the movie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, like I said, my name is Emma Yentsmith, and I am a volunteer at the Trilon. I just looked this up uh, beforehand. My first shift was in May of 2018. So it's coming up on five a years that I've been timer, volunteering. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, congrats. Thanks. It's flown by, much like Kihar the Seagull. Ooh, we're getting so close to revealing the name of the movie, which I pretended <laughs> is a bit to not want to say before we actually introduce it. But the place where we formally introduce it is in, well, I should say, this is playing as part of a series of the trial on uh, the master of childhood trauma, uh, Martin Rosen, um, and the film, animated film <laughs> of Martin Rosen. Uh, I, I'm still avoiding actually calling it the name. Um, but. Aaron is going to give us a fun summary where he gets to tell us what the movie is called and what it's about before we actually get talking about it 
Aaron. Yes, we are talking about Watership Down, a 1978 film directed by, of course, as previously mentioned, Martin Rosen, based on the 1972 novel of the same name by Richard Adams. Uh, the film follows a number of rabbits. Um, you can list them here. Fiverr, Hazel, Bigwig, Blackberry, Pipkin, Dandelion, Silver, and Violet as they flee from their home, uh, which is soon to be destroyed by human uh, residential construction um, in search of somewhere new to live. Uh, along the way, they face many dangers, including uh, hawks, uh, hunters, cats, things of that nature. Eventually, they find their way to a, a hill uh, full of food and free of dangers, uh, which the titular uh, watership down, and they must defend it from a group of enemy rabbits that um, live nearby. Uh, the film was successful on release and is considered uh, somewhat of an animated classic, as uh, we've all been kind of referencing subtly. Uh, it has, I think, it become, especially in recent years, kind of generally regarded as a film that mentally scarred a whole, maybe multiple generations of children at this point. Um, film is also notable, should be said, uh, for including the Art Garfunkel song Bright Eyes, which was written for the film. Not only is the song in a pivotal scene in Watership Down, uh, but it also was a number one hit in the UK for six weeks. The author of Watership Down, Richard Adams, supposedly hated the song. Jason, that's what I got. <laughs> he's, he's, more of a, he's more of a Paul Simon guy. <laughs> yes. Ouch. Uh, that is shocking that it was popular for six weeks. Was everybody in England just sobbing the whole time? It was popular I, in that it made everybody fucking depressed. Absurd yeah. to imagine yeah. that today. That song specifically for six weeks. Well, just everybody I mean, just think about, a national think about period of mourning. E- equally, uh, equally wonderful and equally like culturally impactful Hello by Adele. Just imagine that being a popular song, right? Like it's a song about I'm, – I'm trying, Who I'm can trying to picture such out, a thing? Hello by Adele. Um, so, Emma, we'd like to give the floor first to our guests about the movie that we're seeing. Um, when did this movie enter your life, and why did you want so much to talk about it with us? Yeah, so Watership Down was my favorite book as a child. Uh, I read it multiple times, really loved it. Uh, at some point, I saw the movie and didn't like it as much uh, because it made me very sad. I can't remember exactly when I first read the book, maybe sometime like around nine or ten years old. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I would have seen the movie, watched the movie once, <laughs> was done with it, uh, was too sad, but have since like come back to the book uh, at least twice uh, as an adult, really, really loved it um, and was very excited that we were showing the movie here uh, and wanted to wanted to chat about it because it was very pivotal for me growing up. Yeah. Uh, the book, at least. So all that I know about this movie, I had, I thought Watership Down was in reference to some naval terminology before I actually saw the movie. I'm a fucking buffoon. But uh, how, like, I haven't heard much of the comparison in respect to the movie, or excuse me, in respect to the book. Like, I've heard it's inspired by, and there are some liberties taken and such. Uh, tell me what was so disappointing about the movie the first time you watched it. Uh... I think it's mostly mostly just that I cried, and as a child, there weren't a lot of movies that made me cry, so that was a, it was a negative experience uh-huh, uh-huh. for me. But uh, in terms of movies adapted from books, they're never going to be the same. They're never going to be as good, in in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> and I think the the storylines and the plot beats stayed relatively the same. From again, from what I can remember about the book, it's been maybe like five years since I reread it. Um, but they just cover, they just like breeze through a lot of the plot points in the movie. Like there is a whole, there's a big larger scene in like Cowslips Warren, the kind of weird, uh, weird rabbit Warren area. Um, and just more time spent in each of the locations. 
I, I do have to like kind of sympathize with that a little bit and that I was like, my version of this is the never ending story where like I have been yelling at people for years to read that book. I think it is like an excellent like children's book and the movie I think is well regarded and kind of a, a kind of similar to Watership Down. And I think it is also largely known for terrorizing kids with the, the death of the horse and whatnot in the swamp. Um, but like, I think there's just like, there's some things that like book to movie, that transition is kind of like never going to work despite how good the movie is. I'm kind of curious that like, did it grow in your estimation? Like, are you kind of in the same spot or like, where are you at now? Like watching this movie, are you a bit more maybe positive on it or kind of similar? Yeah, definitely. Especially since having worked at the Trilon so long, I've had, I've watched many more movies and I'm able to kind of put it in context and think about it in terms of other films that I've seen, other films uh, inspired by books. It's interesting that you found the movie so much sadder than the book. Um, is that because of the animation, which is something that I think is like really uh, remarkable Horrifying. about this movie? Um, or uh, was there, were there other elements? Is it maybe just more emotional to watch a movie because it's like truncated or something? Or what did you think about that? I do remember, yeah, as a kid, now that I think about it, I think I cried at the book too. But for in terms of the movie, it's 100% that song. Like, it song has no right to just be as sad as it is. Uh, but as a kid, I remember being really struck by the book. I think I, you know, uh, I was a little girl. So obviously I was into, you know, books about animals and anthropomorphic animals being cute and, and doing stuff. And this was the first book that I can remember that had, you know, animals as characters, but it wasn't just, and they're, they're doing human like things sort of, they're anthropomorphized, but they also had a very like rabbit culture and a rabbit language that they kind of go into a little bit during the movie, but not as much. There's many, there's whole chapters in the book that are just, stories about Elahera, this uh like prophet creature uh rabbit yeah the the joke i made was that like uh if you were a british author in the 1970s and you were writing a novel you had to develop your own language <laughs> for that absolutely novel. it was just something that was required of you and expected and so everybody just decided oh i'm gonna start this book with like a uh, mythology that's written in a different language or something <laughs> yeah, for me it's like i get definitely why knowing the larger like lore and story setting of the book would be a little bit disappointing to not see that reflected wholly on the screen. Having not read the book myself, I was really enticed by like the fact that we are, we allude to the, like we're supposed to figure out what an Ausla is entirely by context alone, by reference to like their Ausla is, you know, I'm part of their Ausla or like, uh, you know, there's sort of hierarchies of the structure of the, of the, of, of their rabbit societies, like really compelling to not know all of the big pieces of it. It's like that classic world building thing where you just like tell and not show sometimes. I really enjoyed that. And I think it's served well by the fact that, yeah, the movie is primarily it is they it, it's, it's a road movie more or less where, well, until a certain point, at, like in which the entire point is um, avoiding like the violence that surrounds them. And like everything, literally everything is a threat. Like even the clear, clean, open pasture of like, I don't know, a, a cornfield is a fucking death trap if they just stand in the wrong spot for a moment. I love that, like, the plot impetus is literally just everything around them. I mean, it's it's really well foregrounded in the beginning of the movie uh, with the um, with the myth about uh, Frith and El Arira. I'm, I'm mispronouncing everything today, but, uh, like, that whole idea of everything is constantly going to be against them, odds are always going to be against them, the world is, nature is against them, even though they're part of it, is, I think, just 
using that as the plot element to keep moving and not like focus on anything too much really worked for me. I felt like if we stayed much longer with any of those ideas, maybe they would become a little bit tired. Maybe they become, would become a little bit overwritten maybe in the context of uh, a children, what ends up being a children's movie, a children's animated movie. I feel like it would be hard to expose that much without spending a lot and a lot of time instead of just moving with the movie. Uh, but I, I, I found that worked for me. I get why like, knowledge of the source material will make that seem a little bit more hollow in some cases. Yeah, I think that that's well said, Jason. I really liked, um, Emma, what you said about how this is really, Watership Down was really like an, um, a huge sea change for like children's literature and uh, literature specifically about like like animals and animal culture. Um, I think it kind of like was the progenitor of a lot of things that we almost find a little bit trite now, just because it was so like um, ahead of its time in some ways where it's like, this is a movie about like cute anthropomorphized animals. Right. But it's also a movie about like naturalism in the like capital and sort of like 1800s American sense where it's like nature is not on your side. It's against you. Like being a rabbit is actually a very cruel and brutal um, thing. And I think that juxtaposing um, sort of like what we came to expect from stories about animals especially children's stories about animals with this sort of like grounding in reality um is kind of what the the story is known for um to the point where like i had never i never read the book i haven't seen the movie either and um i was worried about watching it right i was i was a little bit afraid it was going to be a little edgelordy and a little bit like um trying to be emotionally manipulative or devastating almost because I think that's kind of the reputation that this director and this movie has. And maybe that's more true of plague dogs actually now that I I think about it. But um, I was surprised in that. uh, And, and I don't know, maybe this is unfair and sort of the soft bigotry of low expectations, but um, I thought that it, it actually applied both my expectations uh, for storytelling like this and my sort of expectations in the meta sense of sort of like what you do with stories about uh, how nature doesn't care about you and and leverage those to really effective um, storytelling and themes, in my opinion, right? Like, I think that this, this um, movie ultimately comes to a much more uplifting um, and sort of like uh, powerful message about... Um, sort of like independence and remaining uh true to like what you want right in the in the face of adversity than i thought it would um and i was really gratified to observe that i guess one of my favorite ways that it avoids that sort of because i had the same a similar preconception of the movie in that it was like oh it's a traumatizing movie from people's childhoods that was made in the 70s I guess looking back on it, it's going to feel like maybe they were trying very hard to make it scary or make it like upsetting. One of my favorite ways it skirts that is just by a lot of the instances of violence, while very gruesome, last a fraction of a second. Even a dog tearing apart like six rabbits at a time is just like a quick shot and then a shot of the body falling and you, you, you're you only grabbed by like the vividness of, at least on this version that I watched, the vividness of the color of the blood or like the gaping wound just for a second, just like long enough to leave an impression and not like stick with it, not like really turn it into a mealy mess, 60 frames per second nonsense. Uh, but like, I guess in terms of w- when you're comparing it to uh, animal, I'm just going to broadly say like personified animal animated cinema of the, like of the mid century. Are you compare? are you putting in context of like 
Bambi, etc., in terms of the like, uh, you know, how it's sort of an antithesis of that nature is your friend band together and you know fight against or, man type thing right sort of like bambi but even bambi is an interesting example right because bambi is maybe even more emotionally manipulative than this movie is in its own way sure. uh and doing some interesting things with it i even meant in a more basic way like emma was talking about right just sort of like i feel like when i see anthropomorphized animals and I know that they are in children's media. I am not expecting a brutal story, right? I'm, I'm expecting a children's book, basically, right? About like cooperation and teamwork and how everybody has a part to play. And like, I was surprised the extent to which this is still about those themes. Um, it's just grounded in realism in a way that enhances and sort of like argues for them rather than subverting them, right? Like I think that that this movie ultimately ends up in in a very optimistic, well, not optimistic necessarily place, but but a place that's surprisingly preserving of the sort of like positive um, themes and and messages that stories like that would tell. But it, it in grounding them, they feel that much more earned. I guess, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, and even though you're looking at uh, animated animals, uh, animated rabbits, like, there's still so many connections you can make to like, human culture, human societies, and civilizations without it being necessarily allegorical. Apparently, Richard Adams is very adamant that this is not supposed to be an allegory. He wasn't thinking about you know particular themes. He was just writing down a story that he would tell his daughters, which... Not sure how much I believe that, but right, it, it is be. sort of a classic thing that like every single yeah. writer since the dawn of time has said that, and it's always like, all right, guy, like sure, your mm-hmm. your weird nineteen seventies novel about the dangers of authoritarianism was not allegorical at all, <laughs> right? The characters just came to me and they told me what they were going to say. <laughs> Israel, what's Israel? <laughs> yes, I. It's it's so hard not to view this as like a. a a story specifically in the aftermath of world war two. Like, right. I, yeah. Um, I will say, I also kind of agree with everything that has been said recently and that I, um, I had heard the same things about, you know, I've been reading people on like, I don't know, internet message forums, just saying like this film, like top 10 most fucked up children's movies. Right. It's yes. like, it's all over that shit. Um, and like there, I I could see this like totally scarring children. Absolutely, I get why like people cry at it. And it's like you know, you certain scenes might really stand out. Um, but I guess like like one, I do agree that there is like a an element of I don't know, kind of morality to it that kind of uh, uh, kind of undergirds it that I do think helps it from feeling kind of like senseless violence in the way that I think Harry is talking about mm-hmm. about being kind of edgelordy and that like it's just a series of rabbits getting like picked off by hawks and it's very clearly not that right um and there's i think less of that than the reputation would would have me believe yeah i would say considerably yeah um the other thing is that i i think it's like kind of maybe good for kids to have these kind of movies every once in a while um i mean I, i i can't say that i responded to the film i'm going to mention in the same way that someone might watership down but like this film was like no more violent in fact quite a bit less violent than something like princess mononoke which was like a big that movie for me as a one. kid yeah. and has a lot of environmental um uh themes and whatnot and i think like kind of a very similar movie in a lot of ways um but is much more violent maybe not as tragic in certain ways but like i do think that there is like a value in a kid like kind of getting a shock to the system seeing something like this kind of early i, I don't know maybe that's 
Uh, maybe I'm some sort of sicko. I mean, both of those things can be true. Uh, you can be right and also be a sicko. Uh, but hey, that's why we're here. No, I'm very happy to hear that I fell sort of in the same camp as everybody else where I turned this movie on and I, I had my guard up right away, uh, in part because I did see Plague Dogs well uh, uh, long ago, long before I saw Watership Down. Brutal, I watched, dude. I watched that in college and even then I was like, uh, I was I was like, woof, this is, uh, this is tough to get through. Thank you. Um, and I, especially with how... Uh, I, I have not read uh, the book that this film was was based off of, so all I have to go off of is the experience of the movie. And the initial framing did not make me feel any better about how I anticipated the movie would go, where it's like, yep, rabbits have uh, have a lot of enemies. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> see you in 90 minutes. Um, but there's something... I think much more palatable about um, having that just be instead maybe like the first half of this roughly 90 minute movie where it's, yeah, we are encountering a lot of enemies and we're on the run a lot. And then um, using the other sort of uh, resources that the the introduction in the movie throughout gives us, you know, about you know, rabbits are, we rely on our tricks. Uh, it's, you know, we just got to keep running, keep persevering and having those tied physically into the me- mechanics of like the latter half as well, where they've found their, their home, their new home, and now they need to defend it. Um, I like that as, you know, it's easy to like that as more of like, there's an upswing here. Um, not necessarily like redemption, but there's, we're, we're going to be thinking positively about these, these animals that are sort of on the, on the bottom of nature's uh, caste system. And I should have known going in that uh, as a, such a, a fan of 1995's babe, which, um, has a lot of uh, similar things going on. Um, animals considering their place within the natural order, a mix of animals being acutely aware of those things while also having sort of an audience stand in for like, how how do things actually work? You know, for like the children who may be watching this type of movie for the first time, just like, how is it for animals? Oh, it's, um, it can, it's, it's spooky to think about these things, but it's also important to think about the, those things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's uh, not as rough of a watch as I got um, as, I don't know. I'm very thankful for that. My, my heart feels a little bit better so I can watch some more uh, edgelordy shit at the trial on later this spring. I don't know. Um, to, to reference, I really like that you brought up the natural order, Cody. I think that this movie, like a lot of movies, um, that center around the circle of life, et cetera, um, sort of take that on. Um, also in reference to Aaron's point about how, um, I think that movies like this are important for kids to see sometimes. I think that that is like in large part, the argument that the movie is making. Right. And, and to that point, like, I think that, um, Maybe that maybe this movie is in need of defense in this way, or maybe I'm sort of preaching to a choir. Like Emma, you know the background better than we do, so maybe you can tell me one way or the other. But like, got all the lore. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I would say that. Like, I think even specifically, this movie's like treatment of death and violence and fear are actually like deeply important to the idea of the the um, message here, and that message is is actually pretty uplifting in the sense that it's it's essentially saying that like you shouldn't let fear of death or fear of pain and sorrow um change who you are or stop you from trying to be the person you want to be and getting the things you want to get right like i think throughout this story um there are several like novelistic interludes that refer to that right there's first the um the Warren that ends up being this sort of like trapped Warren where, where the rabbits are living in semi captivity. There are the does that are living in human captivity. And then of course, um, like most prevalently there's, um, the, the final, uh, 
um, conflict with Woundwort and, and his clan, right? And all of these characters are sort of like, they're authoritarian allegories for sort of like these false escapes from this this uh, world that the rabbits live in, right? Where they, they're all made sort of semi-compelling because the lot in the rabbits' lives is so hard, right? Like it's, they're so vulnerable and they have so many enemies and therefore like, anything they can do to escape from the the sort of like um horrible like random whims or wills of nature uh is is very compelling and made to be very compelling and i think that's important right but i also think that this movie's treatment of death as sort of like um something that is that is to be understood rather than feared and i think that like the bright eyes song does a really great job of illustrating that as well as the last scene it's sort of like it it really does a great job of of um bringing home hazel's point which is that like rabbits need tricks right like it's not you shouldn't be trying to um necessarily like you shouldn't trade your independence and your freedom for um, these easy solutions that are offered by outside forces, which is kind of what authoritarian uh, authoritarianism represents in this movie. Yeah, a lot there, but I think it's a great turning point for the conversation to start talking about the black rabbit um, as symbol, obviously of in, you know, I'm assuming in the book very much just a symbol of like the passing into another life of following death of like the, you know, sort of like a, a river sticks type um, seeing you to the afterlife type character. But throughout the movie, I was like, obviously, he's interested in the, in the intro or in the beginning in the myth as sort of that character, uh, as sort of this missile mythologically, um, you know, see him before you die type thing. Uh, but throughout the movie, uh, he, whenever he's referenced, it's not always in, ter- in, con- in terms of like quick accept your death because it's coming in the case of like when um, I think it's during that Bright Eyes song when uh, Hazel is or sorry, Fiverr is following the Black Rabbit to Hazel. Hazel's not dead. He's just been shot in the field. Uh, and he's like, he ends up surviving, but like this constant, like he's not just a harbinger of death. He's a harbinger of like some kind of future, some kind of next step of like existence. Of course, at the end, he does actually welcome Hazel to the afterlife. His whole thing of, uh, the phrase that appears as the, um, as the tagline of the movie, the, you know, stark phrase of, uh, all the world would be your enemy prince with a thousand enemies. Wherever they catch you, they will kill you, but first they must, must catch you. And in the end, like it is the black rabbit that like leads them there. Like he leads them. Ultimately, he's the last one who gets to see them. Yeah, his enemies, the enemies will catch you. But again, I think it's just playing Harry to sort of what you were saying about the like making death your friend kind of thing, like not seeing it as the end all be all of your existence, not as something always to fear, but something always to guard against anyway. Or something to to allow to compromise. You, yeah, right. I, I, so I, I don't know, just with more context, Emma, and having seen it a few more times than I um, how do you like? How do you interpret the like the black rabbit? How do you see that character, that that figure in the in the story, and how he looms? Yeah, I think that's uh, absolutely right. And same with uh, what Harry was talking about. The black rabbit is kind of shown as this like a specter of death, but not in a negative sense. And I'm I'm sure in the book there's whole chapters about him and his his backstory, uh, the lore of this black rabbit character that I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, it's shown as a like obviously a personification of death, but it it leads uh, leads Fiverr to to Hazel like you were talking about in order to save him, and then at the end 
when he comes back for Hazel after he's kind of uh, led all of these rabbits to to safety, to this new home and built up a whole life and a whole home with, uh, with does, with now children, and I think many generations at this stage, uh, the black rabbit comes to him and basically says, oh, you're, you're so tired, like it's time to to lay your burdens down essentially and come with me. And now it's over and you've, uh, you've gone through these transformations of, of yourself and of your, your society. And it's really, really beautiful and moving in, in the book and the movie. Uh, and I think that, yeah, it comes back to the idea of death is, is part of life. It's obviously part of these rabbits lives uh, all around them in, in the forest and everywhere, everything wants to kill them. Mm-hmm. And they have to to live with that, but at the same time, they can like part of the book is coming back to their own nature and recognizing when they go to Cowslip's Warren that where they're kind of they're, like the rabbits are maybe being drugged by the farmers to keep them docile, keep them uh, in in this area. Um, that this is very obviously antithetical to rabbit society to the lives that they know in the wild and recognizing that and uh saying forget that we don't want any anything to do with it and running away um is a is it's a major major part right well and and like it's it's important that the black rabbit is a rabbit right and that Mm -hmm. um hazel at the end of the the movie greets him as my lord right so he has like a connection to their god he's part of their lore and their culture and the the entire point of like that the origin story and and the part of the black rabbit that is is sort of like you have to remain true to what it means to be a rabbit, right? Which means running and thinking and um, outmaneuvering and understanding that the world is out to get you, but that doesn't mean you don't have options, right? That doesn't mean that you're doomed. Um, And I really like that as a sort of um, companion to the circle of life, right? Like, I think that this movie and probably by extension the book does a really nuanced thing right where like i think that there's a sort of um frustrating fatalism that often accompanies like the circle of life that this that this movie kind of like directly takes on where like um uh fira at one point I, that is or no firth i'm sorry um fire is a spell from final fantasy firth um <laughs> he uh <laughs> um he uh like tells hazel in like this amazing conversation that the two of them have when hazel is running and he prays to firth and he's like please help me and firth is just like you're on your own bud (laughs) it's it's a really great scene but um firth says like uh what is is what must be but i really love that like this there is a different interpretation of that than would be in a lesser movie, right? Where it's like, that's not saying like, you just have to like, let what happens happen to you. It means that like, you have to fight as hard as you can, right? Because nobody else is going to. And I really love that, like the inciting incident that gets them to go to Watership Down in the first place is proactive, right? It's like Fiverr has this vision of apocalypse um, coming toward him. And they're like, no, like, we got to get out of here, right? Like, we have to seek something else. And, like, even the other rabbits are like, what are you talking about? Like, we're comfortable here. Like, we're we're going to be safe here. Um, there's no evidence of this. But, like, it turns out that, that Fiverr was right, right? So, it's like, it's not about accepting your lot. It's about working as hard as you can to um, sort of, like, protect and uh advocate for yourself uh irrespective of sort of fate or the the natural order of things right and i think that like 
holding those two ideas together is something that pretty nuanced that this movie does a really good job of. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And this conversation um, and your characterizations uh, up to this point, like it gets to like one of my favorite takeaways from this movie and, and what it's sort of, I, I don't want to fall back on like what we usually, or what we'll bring up often on the show, like what this movie trains us to do. Um, I, I felt encouraged to like the more, the more beautiful uh, like beautifully a scene was animated, the more like on guard I was. Um, that's like something that uh, I think like to its like great benefit, this movie does um, quite a bit. And like speaking of cowslips worn, that's the, the scene where I first thought about it because they enter it and it's this like really immaculately colored space with um it's like or like uh, magentas and oranges. I think it was like colored, unlike anything that we've seen uh, in the movie up to this point. And I just got thinking like other than like, well, why not make every scene look so fucking banger? Like, why would they make this space in particular look so enticing? And it's uh, this, I don't know, this, I could just chalk it up. The one thing I could chalk it up to was just like, well, you know, it, everything in the world is, is beautiful. Like this Warren, this, this, um, this hill that they find themselves on and then subsequently need to defend like every, like everything is beautiful, but everything also, especially if you're a rabbit needs to be treated with some amount of like caution and respect, uh, like the black rabbit, the visual framing of that just being kind of like a, you know, like a playful buddy, um, you know, uh, Frith being kind of like a, a confident, you know, like, uh, like you're like a close, close, close bud that you can just like, Hey man, like, uh, what do you say? Like what I trade my life for, for all these other rabbits. How does that sound to you? Just like that, that framing of like death and really heavy, um, I don't know, just like thematic conversations. I, like, I guess that gets back to what we've already been talking about, but I love how it does that, um, like visually, uh, in, in this movie uh, as well. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, the black rabbit included, but, uh, you know, as, as well as everything else, um, everything is beautiful and everything is also very, very scary. Um, whether I really you're a rabbit like that. or a white guy like me. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that point, Cody, because I also think that like one thing that this movie does, that's really important is like, make the appeal of authoritarianism like very evident and persuasive right it's sort of like hey like in a world where like violet is gone and she's there one second and she's gone the next because a fucking hawk can just pick her up and it's like three frames of animation right exactly and we just never see that character again or where uh wound wart can just like rip somebody's like stomach open with his teeth um it's like getting anything that like allows you to avoid that sort of shit happening to you is like a pretty like feels like a pretty persuasive deal right and i I think that like making it out to be something that like this idea that like sacrificing your freedom or sacrificing your agency in return like in exchange for like this promise that you will be able to avoid death a little bit longer is like it's supposed to be something that's really persuasive in this, right? Because it's like, hey, like when you understand what mortality is, all of a sudden it becomes very, very important to avoid it <laughs> at any cost, right? And like this movie's kind of all about like how actually that's not true. There are things worse than than death, or there are things worse than the idea that that you might just be uh, about to die at any moment. But like before we can get to earning that message, I think it's really important that on the way we are introduced to the idea that death is really scary, <laughs> basically. Well, it like it confronts that directly when I, I think it's like in a, I don't know, an interstitial, an interlude or whatever. When Heisenthal is talking to her Warren chief, I think it's to Woundwort. 
And she says, the system is breaking down. Like things cannot sustain as they are like the system. It, it, like literally nothing's going to hold uh, because like, I forget what reason they have to leave, but it really just does like, it does a great job of po- of painting both of those uh, hegemonic rules of like the first Warren, I forget S- Sandal, is it Sandalwood Warren? Um, and the, and like the later, um, the more, even more fascist rule, I uh, love being like, these are two different approaches to the same problem, either ignorance or complete domination. And they're both equally invalid. They're like the strain on the system of like the needs of its people will continue to break as long as like things don't adapt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I did find myself thinking during the movie, oh, I wish there was a little bit more backstory uh, in like Woodwart's Warren and like why that he is so authoritarian. And just thinking about this conversation, I guess it doesn't really matter. He just he wants control. He wants to force these rabbits to do what he thinks, I believe what he thinks is the safest thing. Um, I think Heisenblay's point is that there's overcrowding in the Warrens and that they can't uh, like they can't have babies because there's Mm. too many rabbits already. Um, So, yeah, would have liked a little bit more of a reminder of why that is and what led up to that. But the our main characters have no idea. So it's kind of just them. Yeah. Them showing up, realizing what's happening and encountering a, a type of rabbit society that they've never seen before that they don't understand immediately and have to work around and defend themselves against. That's a really good point. It's like, it's sort of a tertiary point, so we don't need to like spend much time on it. But like, another thing that this movie does really effectively for me is like, demonstrate the, um, hard limitations of knowledge based on like resources, right? Like I really love that. Like this sort of like takes place in a world that presumes that, uh, rabbits have essentially human intelligence, but also only rabbit resources. And like, what would that look like? And I, I find like that the way they treat that is relatively realistic, right? It's like, well, they would develop like these mythologies around like cars and uh other animals and give sort of like weird names to them but like they don't have like access to like like learning and stuff right and so there is this sense in which it's like that is in itself sort of a um another appeal of authoritarianism right is this idea that like oh like you can come live in this warren and we'll tell you how things are instead of like this fear of the unknown that you'll have to constantly confront and sort of reckon with one of the uh, the points in the book that I can never forget uh, is that rabbits can't count above five, which <laughs> seems kind of silly because if you have a system of numbering why, and you have five, why would you not also have five and one? Uh, but I think the point in the book is that why would a rabbit need to count above five? You, just, you have <laughs> one to five and then many. <laughs> I love that reason. I'm, I'm bummed that it didn't make it into the movie. That, God, what a practical but ridiculous way to i don't know um they're like harry was talking about some of the uh concepts and constructs that they create for like rabbit intelligence but also rabbit resources one of the things that struck me was uh the way that they refer both to cars i forget how they turn how they do that but i'm finding in the actual subtitle file which i have pulled up to the side uh that they call it's a roo-doo-doo a roo-doo-doo. Yeah, that's right, it's right, right. onomatopoeia right like they're yeah. referring to the way that the, the engine sounds right yeah. yeah uh but they call the train tracks that almost squish them one of frith's messengers i think just like a lightning bolt from the blue that almost kills them all i i fucking love that again it's just that like sometimes not telling sometimes not showing type of thing that just works so damn well in this good world building (laughs) 
Yeah, it, it does the intelligent thing I think you have to do when you're adapting a book that is like maybe maybe this big and you need to make it a movie that's like maybe this big. Um, and so it's like we need to take all this good world building and we need to just kind of like hint at it so that you can just imagine there's this, there's this whole world which is in the book, but we can't really show in the movie. And I think this does this really well with like every time it introduces a new, you know, animal faction um, or something, there's like just enough little details. I mean, obviously the the... Kahar is the best example with, you know, the water, the big water, I believe is the phrase that he uses. Yeah! Um, but it's like, there's one more time. Yeah! Yes. Um, but apart from also the best, uh, the best character in the film, I think all of the uh, kind of introduced elements have those like little touches that just let you know that like, there's more going on here uh, uh, than the, what is just kind of shown directly um, to the, to the audience. Yeah, I was really impressed with how, in particular, for a novel adaptation that, um, and again, I haven't read it, so I'm not sure, but like, there are parts of narration that seem like they are directly lifted from the novel, like the uh, opening origin story, and then when Woundwort dies, and there is this kind of strange disembodied narration that appears all of a sudden that's just like, well, Woundwort was never found, and like, et cetera, et cetera, and like, now, like, rabbits tell stories about him and say that if they misbehave, if their children misbehave, the general will will get them and he probably would have been happy with that it's a little bit like what like but um (laughs) despite moments like that that make me like understand how reverent to the source material this movie is there are also entire scenes that are handled without any spoken dialogue right which i found really impressive like the um the scene with the rats and the owl in the like the ruined church or whatever that is has no um dialogue really whatsoever it's just this scuffle between rats and um rats habits and then like maybe most notably the bright eye sequence right which it like like emma said like presumably there are entire chapters or at least long sections of this book devoted to sort of like the rabbit's understanding of existentialism (laughs) right because like that's very clearly important like the the fact that these rabbits understand mortality and that mortality undergrids their entire belief system is like really important to the message of this movie as we've discussed and like i got almost all of that from that visual sequence with the bright eyes um song right and like you can read the lyrics with um helping out with that idea but like it's still it's really impressive to me that this movie sort of like takes what was a novel and and therefore communicated in prose and communicates what I have to think are like pretty nuanced and profound messages that that feel um true to the book via language or via uh visuals primarily uh, if that makes sense right like I think it's it's really successful as a filmic adaptation in like the truest sense in that it sort of like transliterates themes from one medium to another um while not losing everything in translation i i have to agree and i like i'm wondering about i I wanted to pivot the conversation toward this anyway i wonder where kihar fits in all of that where is he as an element of the world building is he just kind of fucking rad just a g popping in from the sky like does he does he belong in this essential like essentially in this story or is he just like icing on the cake uh aaron you're uh you run the facebook page uh tell me what you thought of of kihar uh, well, he's a character that, you know, was immediately recognized as being the best in the film. I think he has inspired, yeah! I would say, maybe billions of people at this point. Certainly the millions that follow the, my Facebook, Twitter, and uh, TikTok and Instagram accounts. Um, I, so, I I mean, again, a part of this is like, 
I, again, I don't know how you don't read at least parts of the story as like a, a Jewish allegory. Um, the you know the voice actor uh, Zero Mostel is like a, a very famous uh, like Jewish actor, actor, voice actor. Um, yeah, actor not just in film but also in the stage and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think part of it is that like it's just the most memorable performance in the film, especially in a film full of kind of like kind of quiet British voice actors, you know, John Hurt doing his, his kind of, Oh, you know, a little bit uh, yeah. that kind of a thing. Um, and I'm so uh, glad that they got the most British man to be in this movie. They, they got the most British man. And then they got, uh, uh, the, the, the biggest G to play the, the seagull, uh, fortunately. So, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, he's just the best man. I don't know. You know, I mean, I th- I think it's important that like he is uh he is an outside faction that they take pains to cooperate with, even though at first it doesn't pay off for them, right? Like I think that um in a lot of sort of like shows and and media about the brutality of nature, there is this sort of like very pessimistic, very um like again try hard message about how like oh people are just going to betray you and let you down and it's important to be a rugged individualist and like i think that this uh that this movie takes like real steps to um subvert that expectation right like like hazel his entire like the the best of his tricks is the ability he has to bring people together right to cooperate with outside forces right it's like if we help this seagull he'll help us out in the Later, his faith is rewarded, right? Because it's mutually beneficial for them to do that. He even goes to Woundwart and tries to create a, uh, what does he call it? Like a, um, an independent, uh, like sequence of of warrens right that are that are interdependent um and so there is this sort of like this this anti-rugged individualist thread running through this which is that like despite the fact that yes you could be betrayed yes you could be sort of like being vulnerable is a good way to get hurt um working with other people and other factions is actually a much more effective way to survive than doubting and uh, mistrusting everyone, right? Even even in a world that is as scary as this one is. Definitely. And, I mean, in addition to all that, uh, just, like, the little bits and pieces of value that KR brings to this, just, like, really, really small, um, but really, I think, effective of just him, him being a burden and flying in. One of the most joyful s- scenes in the whole film is when he does get up off the ground and all the rabbits are just like, wow, look at yeah. him go. They're just looking up at him. Him, you know, shouting out the the big water and, like him soaring off into the distance, leaving us in our imaginations to be like, wow, what, what does the big water look like? I mean, we know what big water looks like, but us as like, yeah. you know, the, the rabbit, the rabbit savers, like, wow, what, what, like, what is, what does the big water mean to him? What does that look like? Him bringing in that outside perspective. I don't imagine I'll ever watch the, um, the sequel, um, watership down to, uh, the bunnies go flying and then go to the big water. Um, hopefully that's, hopefully that is something I made up and doesn't you mean exist big watership annoyed. down that's the easy. I should have just gone with that. That's way better. Uh, that's, that's infinitely better. Um, but I'm not going to watch it because I know everything I need to know about flying and being at the big water from when KR was talking about it. That's plenty. I, Cody it makes him happy and it makes die me die in an accident trying to fly an airplane, which he did not have a license for. He probably would have liked that. Yeah. Hey, Amen. I could have used, here's the problem with Kihar, uh, uh, Kihar. Yeah. Wh- whichever the pronunciation is correct there. Uh, Kevin I Hart. could have used one final shot of him being old with, uh, the rabbits at the end. I'm going to be honest. Oh, he flies back. away. 
now now i'm, now I, I'm sad. i could have used a montage shot or something of well him. just us one before the i mean just end. imagine you would have had to see kihar sad because he would have had to watch one of his best friends go right like you want his last image to be bright eyed and uh, bushy uh, feathered or would you rather Rather see him all Maybe it's good to imagine him constantly just sailing off towards yep. that big water. You know? I believe That's in the book landed. he does return to the Warren eventually. Uh, yeah, I think I, they say he like comes back to visit every so often. He finds a mate over in the big water and brings nice. her around. Mm. Something like Lucky that. Lucky lady. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> His mate, Kitar. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure all these. Are, are you the one who's been drinking soju? Uh, Aaron. Or sorry, no. Emma. God. Too many, too many uh, vowels and consonants in this group. Um, Emma, I imagine that mapping the character of Kihar from page to screen must have been a thing. I guess, like, must have been a challenge, must have been a stretch. What? How did that character like translate for you? So I'd completely forgotten about this character until he showed up in the movie. Uh, but then, then it came flooding back, and I yeah. believe that the dialogue is exactly the same. It's written in that kind of like <laughs> with whatever accent he has oh, that rocks. Uh, and was kind of hard to read. I think uh, as a kid, I, I love, I love uh, the way that it is performed. If it is written as performed and performed as written, that's, that's all. like, I love the idea that the actor would take liberties, but it's a very like fun. I don't know, just the way that he pronounces every single thing in individuality, like each word is its own sentence. is so incredibly <laughs> evocative of just the annoying squawking of a bird that I don't know that I've seen like, I don't know that I've seen a character brought to life that like truthfully without me knowing what the character was originally like. You know, that's why I'm curious about what it was like, you know, if there's any, uh, you know, sort of disjoint between those characters in your mind between the page and, and, and what you saw on screen. Yeah, not from what I can remember, but thinking back, it was definitely a character that you could hear in in your head as you read the book. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and it, it's probably actually really important that like Kihar is so different from the rabbits, right? And that they Absolutely. are able to form this sort of like uh, friendship. It's like really heartwarming friendship, anyway, right? Uh, I think I think that like so much of this book is about, or not this book, this movie is about sort of like um, it's it's ironic, right? But I think that like it's it's kind of meant to be not necessarily a comforting book to children but like a fortifying idea where where it's like even in the face of like you children are like learning about death now and if you didn't know about death we're going to teach it to you <laughs> in this movie but like despite that things like friendship and interdependence and sort of like uh self-determination uh, still like they still have meaning in fact they have even greater meaning because you now have this thing to sort of like juxtapose them against um, and I think that like even something like Kihar does like a really good job of expressing something like that right just this idea that like hey like even like making friends with like weirdos is great <laughs> sometimes right <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think like you were saying, it's so important that Kihar is so different because it shows that, you know, kids could get this idea or people watching the movie, you're already in this mindset of the rabbits have a thousand enemies. Everything in the forest is against them. Everything around them is trying to kill them. Uh, whereas now there's this creature that comes in who is a bird, like the other birds that we've seen before, like the hawk and the owl who do want to kill them. But this one is, has like... Gives no thought to oh. killing rabbits or trying to eat them because it's a seagull. It's eating French fries. <laughs> uh, it's an opportunity to to you know, 
meet a creature that's so different from them and but that also uh is able to help them and become a friend and yeah yeah offer something that everything around them isn't exactly now now that is a scene that i would love to see is kihar finds an arby's <laughs> that, that would be a really great sequence we should have had spinoffs i mean yeah! just yeah I, I I do I don't know I, I do like I, I was just gonna say I don't know what 2023 is gonna be the year of yet but Kehar should win an award sorry I just wanted that on the record should. please continue Jason yeah let's let's be careful but but he should um I do like that idea that like uh, I didn't think about it un- until you said it Emma that Kehar is he's a bird like other birds that have attacked uh the the Warren uh, or rather the what is the term that they use for like the group that's moving Hlail or something like that there's a term I I saw on on Google for like the group that's moving like the fellowship basically um but like birds that are attacking them they cannot generalize these birds they can generalize almost every other animal including like land and sea animals as like dangers and that's why they approach kihar this way they learn that that's not really the way like that they don't need to react that way i believe i forget who it is bigwig might express some trepidation about approaching him when he's downed with his wing broken but he's just like flopping around trying to eat a bug and ends up snapping at some grass instead and the animation is just makes him look so like helpless and dumb and lazy and i mean it's just it's just very fun very like good way i think of introducing that character as not a threat where everybody else that looks like him has been a threat just to both of your points about like how different this character is from our you know protagonist and mapping that like fear of everything onto this character and then immediately having to throw it away through you know the performance through the writing through the through the animation i just find it really it, it just worked really quickly and like i can see how it's particularly effective on kids too just visually learning what they have to learn about the character yeah, well, and, and this is sort of a rehash, but like it speaks to this nuance, right? Where it's like, just because everything in the, the forest is your enemy, just because everything wants to kill you, doesn't mean that's all it is, right? And doesn't mean that's all you can use it for. Like, I think the the really cool thing that this uh, movie does is that despite the obvious threats and dangers, these rabbits make a lot of bold decisions, right? Like they're never paralyzed by their fear. They do things like float across a river or like decide to take everybody with them rather than leaving the injured rabbits behind to die when the, the uh, dog is after them or whatever, right? Like it's, it's like just, just because like death is never far away and, uh, could happen anytime doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities doesn't mean you shouldn't be thinking on your feet doesn't mean you should give up right doesn't mean that like like something else could happen if you make it happen um and i really like that as sort of a a really cool um self-reliance message or if not self-reliance then at least like a never give up sort of message yeah it's self-reliance and hope like something a, a real through line uh among these characters is that throughout the whole throughout every all the trials and tribulations that they go through they have hope that there's going to be something better like we're going to leave this warren but we're going to find another one we're going to leave this like relative safety of cowslips warren to get to somewhere better somewhere where we can be more free uh there is a place where uh man doesn't come there's a place of a large flat hill that we can live on. Yeah. Well, and, and specifically that they're going to make it right. That mm-hmm. they'll, that they'll do it themselves. Like there's that great conversation that, that Hazel has with, um, with Firth where he, you know, he's like, Hey, I'll sacrifice my life for the lives of my people. And Firth is just like, well, like, I'm not going to do that for you, but like, if you work hard enough, like maybe you can, you know, like if, if you're clever enough and you do the rabbit thing well enough, like maybe you can make something happen, but it's like, it's not something I'm just going to give you. (laughs) If only God were that honest with us. Um, 
I have only uh, one segment left before our second to final segment. I, I guess I, this is where I'm opening the opening to the group, the junk drawer. Any final thoughts, any things that wouldn't fit in any of your larger points about the movie, things that you liked. For example, mine is as little as I really liked how Cowslip's animation is constantly so greasy and like wiggly. His arms are constantly doing that like Christopher Lee thing where he's just always moving. Like It's the uh, can't trust this motherfucker animation. He <laughs> is like, I mean, starkly there's the animation in this movie the character design i think very good very evocative very naturalist uh very not that naturalist that's that has nothing to do with this um but very like i don't know there's sometimes some brutal some uh like uh very juddery animation and i think that's partly on purpose probably partly due to budget um but like in the case of cowslip that whole sequence is just it feels like a fever dream at times. Things are moving way too smoothly. There's this one shot that I really loved. It'll end up in the, in the gifts segment. So I won't talk about it here, but just like almost psychedelic by comparison to a lot of the rest of the movie, that whole segment. And I just love how that self-contained segment of these, uh, rabbits being kept alive for the benefit of the, of the farmer above them is like just so sickly, sweetly, like animated, created, colored sounding, um, and like we realize from the get that that's not to be trusted generally, uh, but like specifically the way that Cowslip is animated as, as moving, like his whole body and his whole languid like flow of his diction and stuff. I really fucking loved that. Um, Emma, did you have anything else from like just quick shots to any little moments that stuck with you that don't have to be part of a bigger point? Yeah, I mean, like we've already talked about, I thought the animation was beautiful. And I was really struck in every scene by like the backgrounds. And I think they're, they're what, like watercolored. Um, you've had actual animators on this show and people who who know things about making movies and, and drawing things. But I, I remember being really struck by a scene towards the beginning when they're in the forest at night. And it's, it's the forest, it's really spooky. A badger pops out. That's terrifying. Oh yeah. Um, and then there's just one shot of like looking through the trees, and it's dark. And then it becomes, and then like dawn breaks, and it becomes light. And it looks like the exact same painting, but the colors uh, of the background changes. So you see the sunrise basically. And I wonder. I really wonder how they did that. Did they change the saturation somehow? Is it a bunch of different uh, paintings? But I thought that was really beautiful. The set design is like, I, I, mm. I hesitate to say set design because it's all paintings, but like the background painting does stick out. Like it stuck out in Bambi too, but here it's like, you don't realize how big some of these murals are until the camera pans like two or three screen widths to realize, yeah, this is a gigantic piece that somebody created with the foresight that they were actually going to be like making two or three different shots out of it. It's really like strangely forward thinking. Yeah. Well, and in like, it's, it kind of took a little bit of getting used to um, this animation. Like at first I thought it was kind of choppy, uh, at least especially compared to like something like Bambi, right? Which was an immediate comparison in my mind. Like oftentimes the water painted um, or the watercolor backgrounds will not move. There will only be one moving thing in the shot. And it's very obvious that that's animated in a different style. Um, but by the end, I actually came to really enjoy it. And like, it, it kind of teaches you the value of something like more expressionistic right where like a lot of these um these backgrounds and, and these shots they like they change very rapidly to reflect the sort of emotional reality of the scene and they accomplish that through like lighting and through like the um fluidity of animation and the speed of changing shots and stuff and it makes for some really dynamic shots like the one that uh, emma mentioned or like 
all of the fighting that happens in this is really impressive. Um, where like all of a sudden, like they're, they're just like the, it almost looks like the animation shifts, right? Like when the lightning strikes or when, um, big wig, uh, charges up to attack, um, wound wart. And like, there are sudden shifts in sort of like, um, field of like focus and like close up. And, uh, I, I really liked that. Um, I also think uh, that shout outs to this score for going so hard. Yes. Um, that was, that was like a big junk drawer thought of mine is that like, I can't believe how emotional and sweeping and epic this score is. Like they really went for it and I really um, dug it. The, yeah, I, I was, I was, that was going to be my junk drawer thought is that the score is great. It's wild they don't just play Vivaldi Summer at a certain point because there's so many moments that feel like, is that Summer? Nope, not quite. Um, yeah, score is this wonderful, just like orchestral. Like, it's great. Um, it's it's really, really excellent. Yeah. Uh, the final segment before our uh, final segment. I don't know. Too many bits. You mean our second to... Yeah, some man, some I, people would call that the second to final segment. The penultimate segment. Penultimate segment. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We would. Two, it is yeah, called three of us got it i've already probably talking talked about what this fucking segment is it's called good grief give me a gif give me a gif harry uh i th- i think it's got to be the thing where the it's the bright eyes segment right where like hazel's body is spinning and then the black rabbit is spinning and they kind of come together to create the the fiery eye that uh our old art garfunkel is alluding to in the in the song um and there's like that purple background i think that's really gorgeous that would be my choice i think nice uh emma any shot you would your uh nighttime to sunrise shot have been what you'd like to see alongside this this episode when it goes out uh, I mean, that was most striking to me, but that's maybe a boring, uh, boring shot for just, uh, for promotional material. Yeah. Uh, anything, the other thought I had was anything from the first scene where, um, they're going through the mythology of, yes. of the, the rabbits and the, it's a totally different animation style from the rest of the movie. It kind of reminded me of son of the white mare. Oh yeah. Uh, <clears throat> But any any part of that, especially like the sun, like I believe that's Frith when he's talking uh, and like slightly, slightly moving around. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, his his cool undulations shot. are really cool. I thought for a moment it was like a yeah. line to his actual speech, like, you know, one of those audiograms you might see online. But no, it's just like, I don't know, very uh, detailed and very a lot of nuance in the in the animation there. Great, great poll. I, had I, forgotten I that found style. it sort of darkly funny in that same sequence when the predators are first created and we see all the rabbits eating and then they're slowly just like almost like a shooting gallery turns over to reveal the other side and they're like just little dead red rabbits yeah. like the the predators just sort of like boop boop boop, boop. that's very them. funny yeah, too that, that was letting the kids and parents know immediately this is what you're getting into <laughs> turn it off if you're not prepared for this it only gets a lot more fucked up from here uh aaron what what did you want to see uh, I was seriously going to say that, yeah, anything from the, the first five minutes of the mythology segment, but the actual answer is anything involving Kihar. Uh, it's got to be liter- literally any shot of that seagull. In fact, if we don't, if we could not do a GIF, we could do a video with sound for that. You mean, one, are you asking me to make a Kihar fan cam? <laughs> I mean, uh, you can just yeah, say yeah, yes. What would the song be? I need to know what yeah, the song you is. you me some good song recommendations before, Aaron. You give just me- any Flo Millie song. That's the Broccoli fan cam song. Just, just put some, you know, or ice. I, you want to play an Ice Spice song? That's a little, you know, in the what moment if, right now. Go what, ahead. But what if we have... The point is we need another... Kihar. What if we have another song? 
but he doesn't I mean, return. Look, Unfortunately, you know, he doesn't return in this movie. He doesn't. No. Well, he does after that. Whatever. Uh, no, he very he very prominently does. Yeah. He just doesn't he return at the end. when you start the movie over and watch it again, Jason, <laughs> to get back to more Kihar. An excellent point. Uh, and Cody's going to have a hard time following that one up with whatever he wants to see as the gift for this image or for this episode. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, my runner up, it's very boring, but I liked it a lot. It's as, and some disclaimer, um, I watched this on HBO max, not realizing it, realizing it was on the criterion channel, which would make timestamps a lot mm. easier because at least on the HBO max on my TV, it only does like the time going the op. Like it's yep. like you have 49 minutes left. So doing the, it's at around 42 and a half minutes. It's like, as they're approaching, um, the titular watership down as they're approaching the hill, it's just like, there's this feeling of joy in the air. Meanwhile, we're panning across this like really beautiful, beautiful field bunnies are scampering away from the screen that's how i want to remember these rabbits um not as like dead little red rabbits or red little dead rabbits but like very much alive rabbits um so that's pretty cool my my actual pick is going to be around the uh, shortly thereafter the 47 minute mark um you could probably make it a perfect loop if you wanted to kihar is blocking the exit to one of the burrow holes and i can't remember which rabbit is behind him but he his his bird ass is like moving all over the place uh and the bunny behind him can't um get out that's my actual pick for the chip for this episode oh and if we have to do a, a video can it be the one where kihar it, like repeatedly admonishes the rabbits for having no hoes basically where he just keeps saying like yes. you got no hoes you got no bitches Stay like tuned. over and over again that's very good <laughs> that is that was a turning point for me in this movie was when they like the reality sets in that they have no bitches and that they must get bitches before they can like propagate is <laughs> I, what kind of we need to go stage a prison that? break yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are so desperate uh that was that was really that was functional and funny uh mine would be i was mentioning the um cowslips warren which i think has a different name right the the snare warren or something anyway yeah but it's named after like the area in england where it is oh, so i have no idea yeah who cares I think. who cares about areas of england uh except watership down Seems like a pretty cool place. They're hard to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> I did look up. Uh, I did it's Google like what Brown Gloucestershire or whatever. Sorry, it is. yeah. There's too many views. <laughs> watership Down is like an actual hill in an area, and everybody on the internet that's been there is like, yeah, it's kind of unremarkable. It's not really. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait what does that say? What does that say down there in the fine print? Known for its large fox population. Oh no! no! Oh, no! <laughs> Well, you know, it's only unremarkable because they can't see underneath of them. They can't see the thriving uh, rabbit colonies beneath them. Um, no, but my my shot from that from this movie has to be when it's a bunch of cowslips uh, Warren members are like sort of skirting the sidelines of the main hub of the Warren, and our protagonists are in the center. I believe talking to Cowslip about you know how they're going to get by and what resources he has to offer, and like we get this like. Uh, not panoramic with parallax shot of like a rotating, like we're on the outside of a panopticon rotating around the center of it. Just looking in. It's that so, is very it's so fucking bizarre to see that in animation from this. Time. Like it is because like the things in the middle sort of have a rotation to them, but they're all 2d. So they're like 30 frames per second of them just moving. It seems like it probably took the most of any effort of this movie to make that shot. And it goes on for like, 30 seconds just like developing the story and letting these characters talk and seeing like in the foreground some rabbits and then in the background others it is an incredibly weird like dynamic shot i think that's going to be mine because just like i had to pause and wait and see if it was actually doing what i thought it was doing and then back up to make it do it again 
because it's just so cool to see. Um, anyway, that is our segment on Good Grief Giving Me a Gift. I've taken down all of your suggestions and we'll be making those gifts. I made, I prom- I made the promise to make gifts for many of these episodes and I have not done that yet either because of lack of availability or because I'm a buffoon. This one will have neither because I, I have it already and I'm not a buffoon. I've made most of these already. Uh, but we have one final segment of the show, which Aaron, and if you remember how the theme goes, Emma, you can help us ring in this final segment of the show. Uh, Aaron, we'll count us down if so. Yeah. Can I also, can I say listening to this podcast for a long time, it took so long. <laughs> I was shocked when I learned that there is an actual melody to this song. <laughs> Yeah, I thought good. you were just winging Harry, it. I thought you were Harry, just going. She's shitting all over our melodic and harmonic That's pretty skills. Brutal, yeah. I, I felt pretty <laughs> proud of this. It's the some, sister sister theme. Some people I, would maybe I don't know re- what that is. Record them singing it and then play that as a clip or a drop yeah. or something. Sorry, sorry cowards. That we're I admit, professionals. I, admit <laughs> I don't mean to be shitting on you. This is just. There's also, a fun revelation that, that I had listening are. to this. <laughs> Thank you for listening uh, long enough. I also appreciate, uh, Jason, that you said that I would count you down, something that I have never done. What I do is instead I inhale and then wait an unspecified yes. amount of time and then make you catch up with <laughs> me when version. I go. <gasps> it's like a quiz every single time. Cody's 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 Cody's. Cody's. Yes. I didn't know you were doing it then. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, thank you so much. That introduction fucked. Um, there's this phrase, fucking like rabbits. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, what we're gonna do today uh, is, uh... Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, we're, we're fucking, you know, we're fucking like rabbits today on Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast. Today we're gonna be, uh, indulging, uh, if you so choose, in another installment of Trilibs. Trilibs, for those unaware, is our spin on the the universe famous game known as Mad Libs, where you take a story that has some blanks that need to be filled in with various parts parts of speech. The people filling in those blanks don't really know um, what specific story is being told. So by the end of it, um, we all just have a great big laugh because the what the result is a little disjointed. Um, hopefully, comp- you know, hopefully you know, we can understand it. It's comprehensive. It's it's thorough. Um, the one that we'll be in, indulging in today uh, is going to be somewhat inspired. See if you can pick out the similarities uh, by the end of it. But it's going to be slightly inspired by the movie that we just finished talking about. So in the randomly chosen order of Harry, Aaron, Emma, and Jason, we're going to go uh, around the horn and uh, for you know, and, and in a loop for as long as we need to, as long as the trilibs dictate um by the end of it we'll have something fun to share with ourselves and whoever may be listening so we'll we'll see how it goes so starting with you harry i'm gonna need a type of animal water bison water are water bison's a thing or is it water buffalo here's the, here's are, the are thing. There, Here, i know there are buffalo and i know there are bison i don't and i know there are water the buffalo difference. i don't know if there are water bison so maybe we can do water buffalo okay you kind of talked yourself out of that one but i'll allow no, it they're water um, bison i'm going back there uh I'll, I'll, it seems like they might be the same thing just do water but i feel like water buffalo is kind of the understood that's fine sure yeah it's it's more yeah. syllables and it's going to be more exhausting for me but that's fine um i'll just go ahead i'm gonna make that change in a few different places here spoilers for the end of this segment don't scrub ahead just yet um but thank you i've got that noted aaron over to you uh for me i'm gonna need a type of natural environment if, if you can muster one of those oh um how about a glen Ooh. pretty good kind of british yeah. 
maybe uh maybe very british uh well chime in in the comments below uh, if that's very british or, or just mildly british um but emma over to you in the meantime from you i'm gonna need the name of a country any country uh any country how about <laughs> france perfect i was gonna say that's um a hotly contested um ask in this segment sometimes we get countries sometimes we get cities or like provinces um Depends on it's a very it's a very loose not, yeah yeah it's a it's a loose definition we're flexible words are made up um jason over to you can i please get a name brian don't Brian. don't yeah don't come after me uh brian with an i or a y i was gonna ask the same mm. thing cody we'll go with a y we'll get a little freaky with it we are, we are like that. it's a monday everybody this is mondays really for weird. the y boy <laughs> for the for the yans i don't know <laughs> it sure is um harry back to you can i please get an adjective god how are we already back to me um let's see buckle up glistening perfect uh hey perfect another adjective glistening uh, like water on a buffalo see what i did there mm. mm-hmm. uh aaron over to you can i please get a name uh steve steve now is that uh with an i or with a y uh two e's okay Okay, you know what? Not that's fun. I mean, we'll do that. Two, Steve. Yeah, two next to each other. <laughs> yeah, two next to each other. Steve. It's, it's actually spelled S T E E V. There are two E's, but not where you think. I, I did put two consecutive E's. That's how I interpreted it. So there are but three E's. But it's pronounced Stehar somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to yeah! put a pronunciation key next to this. <laughs> Moving along, uh, Emma, from you, can I please get a verb? Why is this the hardest part of the I podcast? Know. It's you hard. Know. Right? Literally See? every single time I Google I a tab with this. adjectives and adverbs and shit, just so I just mm-hmm. have a list because I'm not. <laughs> but push. Excellent. Yeah, I don't envy y'all's uh, position um, for what it's worth. I, I hope this is going to be trivia. <laughs> you can never count on it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I gotta you never gotta keep them guessing or whatever that tiktok thing is uh jason over to you can i please get a verb from you kick as in kick push kick push i had that playing in my Did head you? Yes. yes oh yeah we're hip uh harry a noun please lupe <laughs> A pro- did you say proper noun? That's a proper noun. noun. He didn't say proper noun. Uh, I'll go with... Um, you could go with a very obvious, very obvious noun here, Harry. Like, But I'm going to go with... Oh. Go ahead, Jason. Try it. It's yours. I was no, going to just go with crowbar. No. I'm yeah, going another great. direction. Okay. Sure. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Um, well, perfect. I got that locked in. Uh, Aaron, a type of animal. What if What if one day Cody did you with, just hit you with, uh, Harry, can I have a principal clause? <laughs> can, I, can I get a direct object from you, Harry? Yeah, can, can I get the part of speech you've forgotten since I've heard? Uh, no, I'll do uh, another animal. Uh, I will do seagull. Very good, very good. Uh, boy. 
Yeah. Emma, from you, can I please get a conjunction? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, a body part, please. Not literally. <laughs> a leg. Excellent. Alrighty, alrighty. Um, do, 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 do. Where are we now? Where are you now? Um, Jack's mannequin. Uh, come on the pod. Jason, from you, can I please get a noun? Uh, mannequin. Now it's in my head. Oh, whatever you got that one. Uh, as I'm swimming through the stereo. Stereo? It's a stereo. Um, Harry, I'm writing you a symphony of sound. Can I please get um, a name? Dracula. I'm All thinking right. about Transylvania now. You guys always make me feel so <laughs> self-conscious. That's, uh, yeah, I guess somewhat intended and fair. And we accept Dracula. I looked at the judges. They gave me the thumbs up. So we're rolling with Dracula. It's a good choice. Um, in my humble opinion, uh, Aaron, over to you. Uh, 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 can I please get another type of animal? Oh, really? Uh, capybara, please. Oh, fuck. Okay. One of the yeah, best. Uh, yeah, Top Brandon 10 animals yes. ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely agree. Uh, Emma, from you, can I please get a verb? We already went said kick, right? Yep, yep. Oh, we're fine doubling up. <laughs> High it, it five. Can be a fun bit. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Yeah. I was going to say, we can double up on, on stuff every now and again. I feel like there were some early on where Aaron just kept saying gun. Uh, <laughs> and that was a pretty fun one. Not, yeah. Uh, hmm. Hasn't returned at all. Well, in retrospect, maybe, maybe not. not it was fun for a moment. day from now on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gun's not fun. But you know what is fun? The thing that Jason is about to say, which is uh, a name. Uh, a Don't name. say Adolf. <laughs> Don't do it, Jason. Is this the phrase I know always it was going right through on the your tip head. Of your Don't tongue. say Adolf. Don't say Adolf. Uh, I'm going to go Brian with an I. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'm skirting the rules now, guys. Why does specifying the spelling? I mean, I don't know. I didn't want to double it's, up. It's important to us, up. Aaron. All sure. right. The lower heads to... out there. Well, yeah, also, sometimes I'll ask follow-up questions or say additional bullshit if I need to vamp while I, like, copy and paste it into Wait, that's my strategy. Blanks. Hee <laughs> hee. Um, oh, God, where am I now as I'm swimming through this here? Uh, I think we're back to Harry. Harry, from you, can I please get a verb? Vamping. I'm still thinking about Dracula. <laughs> uh-huh. Or to Aren't vamp. You can just say vamp if you don't need the, uh, the ing. If we if we were to have Dracula as a guest on the pod, Dracula would show up on camera, right? It's just in mirrors where vampires don't show well, up. Well, cameras are a right? series of mirrors. So, oh fuck you! Holy right. shit! I don't know Damn if that's it! Accurate. Damn it! Okay, so that's a logistical <laughs> logistical nightmare for another day. Um, <laughs> Jesus, uh, cameras pro- are a series of mirrors. <laughs> uh, that'll be on it's a like shirt coming soon to the trailer shop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Um, speaking of Aaron saying things, Aaron, I'm gonna need you to say, "Geez, you've gotten a lot of these. Uh, can I get another type of animal?" <laughs> Yeah, Don't man. Uh, I get. Uh, He's uh, running snake. out. <laughs> He's there's running like, out there's of like six kinds yes. of animals, you know, and I don't want to name the one from the movie we just talked about. So yeah, true. You, it, I don't. I don't mean to put you on the spot. You have already done that at one point during this trilib. Did I? 
That's uh, usually well, the angle y'all go you for. You try to reconstruct the movie as accurately as possible. Um, sometimes it works. Uh, actually, a lot of times it works, but then sometimes it doesn't work. But this will undoubtedly work as we approach the last and final and concluding thing that uh, I need. And Emma, that is the name of a movie, if I could please get that from you. Dracula. <laughs> Excellent. Specifically, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Hell yeah. Can you say the whole thing? I gotta type that. When it comes time? Yes. yes. Francis Ford Coppola. Jesus. I'm misspelling everything. Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's it. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Park Chan Wook's Stoker's Dracula. Do I have that right? He did Stoker, right? Oh, man. Nice. Great jokes. Um, it's Monday evening. Well, perfect. I think I got everything that I need. If we need, if I miss something and we need to fill it in on the fly, we'll do that. It'll be fun. Um, and I will look to Jason for that, but I, I think, I think we should be good for this. The installment of Trilibs known as Trilibs colon animal kingdom. Once upon a time, a group of water Buffalo inhabited a Glen in France one day, the water buffalo, water, water buffalo, yeah, it's the same singular and plural. I'm just going to roll with it. Known as Brian with a Y, had a glistening vision of impending doom. Brian with a Y reported this startling occurrence to their friend Steve, with two slash three E's, and together they went to their group's leader to discuss uh, to discuss what should be done. Their leader pushed them, which in turn prompted Brian with a Y and Steve to summon the rest of their group and kick for safety elsewhere. Yes. Their journey was filled with dangers, a crowbar that needed to be crossed, a seagull craving a meal, a trap that choked it, uh, its victim around the leg. The group eventually found salvation on top of a mannequin, as well as a new companion in Dracula, the capybara. All was well until the group realized they would not survive if they could not. <laughs> uh, high five. When they went searching for help, they came across a group of water buffalo led by Brian with an I, who demanded control. Steve, Brian with a Y, Dracula, and the rest of their group came up with a plan to vamp Brian with an I once and for all. After luring Brian with an eye to an exposed location, Steve helped lead a snake to the same place in hopes that it would put an end to Brian with an eye's reign. However, a sudden second vision came to Brian with a Y, informing them that only one thing could settle this conflict uh, and bring about peace. So that evening, everyone gathered at the mannequin for a screening of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Tomorrow... They would begin the remainder of their existences together before their god calls them each home one last time. The end. Well done, Cody. Crowd goes wild. You all made this possible. Well done, Brian with a Y. Brian with a Y. Brian with an N. He's on notice. Brian with an N? He's on notice. Did I say an I? I thought I said (laughs) 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 Bernan. What? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, This has been a wonderful another edition of Cody's Notice. Thank you, Cody, for putting it together. Thank you, Emma, for being on our episode. Uh, Emma, where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found on the internet? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am Etuni on Twitter, although I basically never post there anymore. I'm more active on Instagram, where I am Quilted Quads. So you can find me there or at the Trilon every other Friday. Excellent. Uh, well, we will see you there. I uh, hope that you get to as well, listener. Um, check out the other movie in this series, Plague Dogs, playing as part of the Martin Rosen series. 
at the Trilon. Get tickets at Trilon.org or a whole host of cool series playing at the Trilon later this year. Maggie Chung has a whole episode dedicated to her. Um, is it Mag- it's a Maggie Chung series. Yes, because it's Herbivap. Uh, please check those out. Uh, support the Trilon any way you can. Go to Trilon.org, become a member of the club. Go to the Trilon itself, get some merch. Uh, it's a great place to support and a great cause to uh, to help out local cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at TriLovePodcast. Uh, we will tweet out stupid, dumb, fun videos here and there. Uh, and do nothing to me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Wow. Uh, I forgot to call it out. The second to last note that I took for this movie is, and I quote, that dog has a nutsack uh, because the dog at the end of the movie um, definitely has a visible nutsack. He was swinging, yeah. Yeah, it's it's important and significant, and we all should react uh, appropriately and accordingly. Uh, Emma, thanks so much for being on today. I've been Cody Narvis, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Do you think that's why the dog was so aggressive, because it wasn't neutered? Is that a message about neutering uh, or spaying your pets? Produced by once- Bob Barker. Yeah, once, <laughs> once once when I was in seventh grade, one of my friends said neutered and or spay your pets, and we all got a big <laughs> kick out of that. Okay. Uh, I've been Harry Mack, and, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Uh, and I've been Aaron, and once again, if you want to find my uh, official Kihar Seagull fan club account, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and Facebook at Kihar Fan Club Official. Thank you. You stupid bunnies. You got no mates. Where are mates? Where are chicks? Thank <laughs> you.